Weston only uses this stand. <clears throat> all right, how are we doing today? Uh, good, huh? all right, great. It's, it's, you should be in church, clearly. You should clearly be here. You've got a lot we should work on. Um, I'm going to do my best. I'm one person, but we've got the Lord helping us. So, hey, um, today we launch our series in the story. And this is a year-long journey through Scripture. We're going to be looking at the Bible as one, uh, one just giant story from beginning to end. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, it's going to put everything into context for us as we look at, you know, different passages of Scripture in the future. Um, and context is really key. Uh, let me illustrate this by, um, well, first, does anybody follow on Adventure with Dad on Instagram? Do we have any on Adventure with Dad on Instagram people? Nobody? Oh, man, you are in for a treat. How much fun is this? So here's how this started. This guy, uh, he's got a daughter, and now they've got two um, would be watching, you know, baby at home, and mom would send in a text and would say, hey, how are the kids? What are you doing? And he'd be like, you know, we're fine. Things are good. And she's like, well, you send a picture. And so he got a little tired of this because this was happening all the time. And so he was a graphic designer and a whiz at Photoshop. And so he started Photoshopping pictures that he would then send to his wife. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, so this one here. Um, Things are fine, honey. We're going for a drive, you know. Um, you know, what's the problem? Then this one here, I like this one. Um, you know, it's rainy, but we're going to make it. Uh, we got this next one here. Oh, yeah, this one. Now, you can't see it, but the burner is like red hot glowing. I mean, what a great kid makes their own quesadilla. All right, next. Oh, this one here. Yes. Oh, yeah. Next, let's see what do we got here. Oh, this, this is after they had a baby, and, they, you know, all right. One more. Oh. Oh, let's see, we got, oh, there's one more waiting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, so, I mean, I told you these were Photoshopped, and so we all thought they were funny, but if I had told you, like, these were submitted as evidence in a child neglect case, we wouldn't be laughing. We'd have a very different understanding. If you didn't know the context, you might look at this, and I was like, that's a real photo. You would be like, that is an incredibly talented child. They don't even look like they have all the muscle strength to stand up properly, but here they are skateboarding. Um, so either you'd be impressed or you'd be furious that somebody would let their child do that. What's the difference? It's the context. You know in one setting it's a joke. Uh, in another setting you would say, this doesn't quite seem good, this seems wrong for dad to be holding an umbrella over himself and baby is getting rained on. The difference is the context. Context changes everything. It changes the meaning. Uh, context is key to understanding everything, including Scripture. Context is key to understanding the Bible. Every time we read the Bible, we have to put it into context. Every time you read Scripture, you have to ask, what, where does this fit in God's overarching story? Where, where does this verse fit with the verses right before and right after it? We always have to ask ourselves, what is the context of this? Because it's the context that gives meaning, that gives shape to the text that we're looking at. We do a great disservice to Scripture frequently when we take one verse or one passage or one story out of Scripture and then we apply it as though this was the universal or only word from God on the subject. We can't do that. We've got to look at the text that is there and ask, how does this fit in with all of Scripture? How does this fit in with the verses just around it? 
Uh, let me give you an example. A lot of people like to say, you know, you shouldn't get a tattoo. That's in the Bible. Uh, you want proof? It's in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, which reads as following. Do not cut your bodies for the dead uh, or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. That sounds pretty definitive, right? Anytime you finish up with like, do not put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. That sounds pretty serious. Like God's not messing around. And so a lot of people will look at that verse and they'll be like, see, 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 that's what scripture says. Now, that's usually from the clean-cut preacher who has omitted verse 27. We'll put it back up there. It says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. I'm doing pretty good here today, but a lot of you men are living in sin. You are living in sin. You might as well get a tattoo at this point in time. All right? <clears throat> See, what's the difference? Again, it's context. When we look at this all together, we go, oh, well, I guess... I guess I can't apply that because I'm not going to apply the verse right before it. So there's something else that's going on here. There's something else that's taking place. There's something else giving shape to this passage of Scripture that I need to understand. That's what we know by context. It's not just Scripture, but it's people, right? Every relationship we have is determined by context. Uh, you, you speak to your spouse or your significant other differently than you do to your boss, ho hopefully. Um, you know, that's a different relationship. Why? It's the context. You know, you're upset at, at the cashier at Kroger because they're rude until you find out that their mom just passed away. You know, then all of a sudden you feel compassion. What's the difference? It's the context. The context determines these things. You know, not that long ago, um, I had a lot of photos that uh, actually my mom had, had copied and made from uh, our grandparents are for her parents' house and came over to us and some pictures I had remembered and wanted to see, but, but there's a lot of photos I didn't know who these people were. And so, you know, it could have been anybody, uh, any old-timey photo. And I needed, I needed her to tell me who the people were in the pictures because I, I didn't know them. I didn't know what my, you know, grandfather looked like as a boy or, or his parents looked like and, and who were these other people. Until I understood who they were, these folks were just black and white images. And I think that's often how we come to Scripture. You know, we open up our Bible and we'll read a passage and we'll read a story and we'll read, you know, something in there. And we'll understand it as sort of a snapshot in time. But it means very little to us unless we put it into the context of Scripture as a whole. That, that's what we need to do, and that's what the story is going to help us to do. It's going to help us to see all of these unrelated passages seemingly as part of an interconnected act that God has been working in humanity, in history, through all this time to bring about salvation for us. You know, I think this is going to help some of you who feel less familiar with your Bible to be able to appreciate and understand a sermon on Sunday morning even better. Because you'll be able to look at that passage and you'll be able to say, I know how this fits in the overarching story of God. And that's what is in the story. Here's the overarching story. Uh, we'll talk about an upper story and a lower story as we go through this. The upper story is sort of God's movement through time and history. You'll see we've got a tree on the left in a tree on the right. Uh, it's, it, it starts that way in the book of Genesis, which is what we read this week. And if you missed out, you can easily get caught up. You can just go to Amazon or wherever you get your books and order the story. Uh, look it up. It's easy to find. Um, but it begins with this tree, this tree of life. Humanity is created in innocence, and God has created this beautiful world. And they are there taking from the tree of life. 
able to live forever in innocence with God, but eventually things fall. This is the down arrow. It lets us know that sin enters the world. And then we enter into this period of, of kingship. And, and what this is, this is how you know, sort of the Old Testament works, and there's these systems of laws and different rulers. But then it all changes here with the cross. And in the cross, everything that is wrong is starting to be made right. And eventually we're going to end up back, if you go to the book of Revelation, with access again to the tree of life. And in the book of Revelation, we see that the tree of life is there. It's had a lot of miracle grow, and it is even larger, bigger, and more substantial. And in perfection of heaven, we will be able to enjoy this tree. And so this is the overarching story of Scripture. And any passage you look at is going to fit into one of those sequences, one of those places where we're able to sort of say, you know, these things like clipping your beard or uh, getting a tattoo, these were part of laws that were enacted before the cross. And now that the cross has come, things have changed. And there are other things we might look at from, from that time and we say, well, no, we need to say, hang on to some of these. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we hang on to that? Well, Jesus told us we should. You know, everything on this side of the cross has got to be understood a little differently. Uh, we're going to continue through the story for a while, but when we get into uh, what I guess would be officially like a Lenten season coming into uh, Easter, we're going to begin a new series on how do we interpret Scripture. We're going to pause just a moment, and we're going to look at how do we interpret Scripture as a whole in the light of the cross. Uh, Scott McKnight talks about this as being the uh, meta story, and each other little story in Scripture is a wiki story, kind of something that each individual has contributed to it along the way, and I think that's good to, to understand, but it's, it's, it's better to understand how it all fits, how it all fits together because it gives shape to everything. So this week, we've looked at the book of Genesis, and it's Genesis that really provides us with a lot of the context we need uh, to understand the rest of Scripture. Uh, the first thing that we need to understand is that God has created the world in the beginning in that garden with the first tree with order and care. God starts with less and ends up with more. He, he starts with chaos and ends up with order. It, things are dark and, and destructive, and at the end, they are, it's beautiful, it's well lit, and it is put together in a way that sustains life. Uh, God creates blank canvases on days one through three of, of light and dark, of sea and sky, of land. And then on days four, five, and six, he fills these canvases he fills it with sun and moon and stars. He fills it with fish and with birds. He fills it with land animals and humanity. And God builds all of this really with the purpose and the focus of building something beautiful for us as people. And so God comes and he creates these things for us. Now, there's a lot of stories. And as I thought about this passage and, and this whole section we've read this week, I, I thought about, man, there's so many things. We could probably spend an entire month, you know, just, just in the first three, four chapters of Genesis um, but here's one thing I, I, I want you to take note of is that God's in the business of building something beautiful out of nothing. God is in the business of creating beauty out of chaos. And for some of you, that might be a good word as you think about your own life. Maybe you feel kind of defeated, disappointed. You feel kind of empty and broken. You feel like your life is a chaotic mess right now. If so, the message of Genesis 1 to you is that God can create something out of nothing. He can create beauty out of chaos. He can bring life out of darkness. He did that for the world. He did that for the universe. He can do that for you, too. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. 
That includes the messes of our lives. But you know, it takes time. It takes God six days to create the world. It will take some time for you and for me. So that's one, is that God creates the world with order and care. The second thing that we note is that God creates humanity from the earth and spirit in an intimate fashion. It's interesting that God speaks everything into existence. You know, he just says, hey, let there be light, and there is. And let there be sea and sky, and there is. And let there be land, and there is. And let there be fish, and there are. And let there be birds, and there are. And, and let there be land animals, and there are. But then when it comes to humanity, you come to chapter 2, and it's like they hit pause or slow motion. And you start to see how is it that God creates humanity. God creates humanity with both earth and with his own spirit. We look at Genesis 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, this is important theologically speaking that we understand this because we're made from the earth. God creates the earth, and then what does he do? He, he gets his hands dirty, and under his fingernails is the clay that he uses to shape us out of. This is why when we have a funeral service, what do we say at the end? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From earth you came to earth you return. Why? Because there is that sense in which we are part of that. But then notice there's step two. God creates us from earth but then fills us with his spirit. He comes down and in a moment of divine CPR breathes life into humanity. And this is no mistake. And in fact, it informs what we understand about the end of life. In fact, it informs what we understand about heaven. You know, we do not believe that the earth is destroyed and that heaven comes back and we're just sort of these disembodied, ethereal spirits, you know, hovering around. What, what do you see in the book of Genesis? You see total renewal of what earth and heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And then what happens? They come together just like us. And at the end of time, our hope isn't that we would just be this disembodied spirit, you know, hovering around, floating, singing to God for eternity, but that we would actually be restored, part of a perfect earth as a perfect creation. That's our hope. God has fashioned us from earth and from spirit. This is why we have to embrace not just, you know, this idea of a spiritual being, but, but of the earth as a whole. God has entrusted us to steward and care for the world. There's a third lesson we need to learn from Genesis, some context we need to pick up. It's that sin has disrupted everything. Sin has disrupted everything. God creates this world with order and care and beauty, and then all of a sudden sin enters into it, and nothing is the same. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, after they sin, it says the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Oh, sorry, naked. And so I hid. You know, man, you know, here they are, created. And now they are naked and ashamed. Many people are like me. You're clothed and ashamed. But here they are. They were living before in innocence, naked, unashamed, unafraid. And now all of a sudden their eyes are opened. 
You see, sin comes into the world, and so much changes, and it really begins this power struggle. Before, everybody lived in harmony. You know, humanity and God having a conversation, walking together. Humanity and the earth. Adam would, you know, plant something, and it would grow, and the weeds wouldn't encroach and wouldn't take over and wouldn't, wouldn't have these problems, you know. And so there was no, you know, it was harmonious. You know, man and his wife, they are partners. You know, uh, a lot of it is made about the woman, you know, being made as a helpmeet or a partner. That's an interesting word. And it actually promotes a lot of equality, or should, because the only other time the word partner, that word for partner is used, it's used of God. God is our partner. He is our helpmeet, as woman is to Adam, as Eve is to Adam. So there's all this mutuality. There's all this beautiful, beautiful partnership that takes place. But then once sin enters the world, we have this huge power struggle. You know, we're hiding from God. Why? Because we're afraid of him. We're afraid of his power and what he might do. Humanity, that, what do we do? We turn on each other. You know, God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. You put her here. You know, and now there's this struggle. And God says, listen, you know, there's now going to be enmity, you know, between you and creation. And not only are you going to struggle and be afraid of snakes, but the weeds are going to come. and They're going to take over stuff. And now there's going to be a power struggle between you and the earth. Who's going to win? There's now all sorts of chaos and struggle where there used to be harmony and beauty. You see, the world is infected with sin. And its symptoms are things like violence that we've seen in places like Memphis, that we see in Ukraine, friends. That is the result of sin. Okay, what, what, is, what are we infected with? Sin infects the world, and where do we see? We see earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. Man, this is the world we find ourselves in, which is why in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present the world we find ourselves in. That's the context for why Christ has to come. That's the context for our lives right now. Last thing we learn from Genesis is this, is that God offers the first sacrifice to cover our sin and hints at what is to come. I don't know how many times I read the story and I missed it, but here in Genesis we see God makes the first sacrifice with his own hands. It says this, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Where did God get this skin? Well, he killed some animal someplace. He had to take that life to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And, and there's a lot of, again, we could probably spend a month in here, but there's a lot of profoundness that Adam and Eve wouldn't have even known how to do this, but God does. God knows what is required, that sacrifice is required, that something's going to be required to cover the shame and the fear and the sin and the nakedness. And so God makes a way out. And really here we start to see God's plan coming into shape. God realizes we cannot pay the price of our sin. So what's going to happen? He's going to have to step in. He's going to have to send his son. The cross is necessary. We get all of this hinted at in Genesis. You see, God's grace is often in places we miss it. You know, even death is a gift. People think, you know, well, okay, so they sinned, and now, now they're separated, but now they've also got to die. Um, let me tell you, we call this place of eternal separation from God hell. Without death, we would have been doomed to a life separated from him. You see, God's grace is all over the story of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. And let me tell you, if you look closely, you start to see things from a distance, maybe fuzzy, start to realize that God himself is going to provide a way out, even though it's our fault. 
we do with this information? Where, where do we go with this? As we come into the story, here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you with this, is that the Bible blesses us when we engage it. So here's what you could do today. You could leave with this understanding of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and you could go, oh, that's a good story. And you could say, you know what, that's helpful to understand. Or you could leave and allow that to prompt you to praise God and say, God, thank you for the salvation. You could allow that to work in your heart and mind and breed some humility. And you could say, God, as you've forgiven me, would you give me the grace to forgive others? In other words, you can take what you know and just sort of like put it on the shelf and say, oh, that's good. Or you could ask this question and say, God, what am I supposed to do with this information? How's it supposed to change my attitude? How's it supposed to change the way I think about people? How's it supposed to change the way that I talk to people, the way that I treat people, the way that I act around others? Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's that word? Puts them into practice is like a, man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And let's pause. I suppose he knew he should put his house on the rock. I don't think the foolish was that he didn't know. It's just that he didn't do. I mean, how many times have you done something and you're like, I knew that was going to happen. You know, I knew that if I built my house on the sand, it was all going to fall down. But I didn't want to dig deep enough to find a rock. Friends, that's us. You know, if you've been to church for a long time, if you grew up in church, you know better. You just choose to not do better. That's the problem. Jesus says, listen, it does you no good to know it. You've got to do something with it. Put it into practice. The rains come down. That's interesting, right? The rains come down on the foolish and the wise. Everybody's going to face a storm. The question is, where are you going to find the shelter in the midst of the storm? The streams rise. Yep, winds blow. Same thing. It all beats against the house, but his house falls. Why? Because he did not put into practice what he knew was right. As we go through the story, the greatest danger we could do is to just absorb this information and go, yeah, I know I should probably do something with that, and then fail to do something with that. We've got to not just hear it. We've got to put it into practice. So based on Genesis, if your life's a mess, what? Give it to God. Let him make it into something beautiful. Surrender your life to him. As you read through this series this year, we're going to be sending out some emails with some devotionals and things for you to, to reflect on. Do that. Reflect on that. Ask this question each time you read this passage of Scripture. Say, God, what should I do with this information? What are you teaching me here? Maybe spend some time to memorize it. There's really two jobs for us in, in the church. It's, it's that we should internalize and put into practice. This comes in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. We read this. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Moses is writing this at the end of his life, and he is pleading with the Israelites. He's saying, hey, listen, don't just hear this. Put it in your mind. Put it in your heart. Live this out. So that's our challenge. If you're parents here, I want to speak to you just briefly. Next week, the kids are going to start the story. This week is for us adults. Next week, the kids are going to start. They're going to get caught up then. And as you leave, here's the blessing of this. You won't have to ask your kid, what did you learn today? Because they're going to be talking about the same things we talked about. 
And so you'd be able to say, hey, what did you think about the story of, of Noah, Abraham? Tell me about, you know, King David. What did you think about him? And you'll have these conversations. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen it continues. It tells us we should put things into practice and we should pass them on. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Pass this information on. Share it with others. Friends, spiritual growth, true spiritual growth, is something that's best done together. This is why I'm so excited about going through the story with you. I'm excited for us to learn and teach simultaneously, for us to all be in groups knowing that, man, I know what you're talking about. How did your conversation go this week? You know, but more importantly than that, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens as our story merges with God's story. You see, because God's story doesn't end, you know, at, at the end of the book of Acts, which is kind of our last bit of history. We're still writing that 